Uh, after another hellish week in which the debate was the latest crime we are ignoring in the White House and the feigned surprise that Kanye West is a neo-reactionary shithead, um, and that was the extent of cultural critique, I didn't know it was possible, nor how much I needed uh, Glover's slash Tyler Lubino's SNL appearance, which right. is where we're this Tuesday after that Saturday where he dropped that, and the metatextual visual essay that was his music video that has left me for the last three days reading intense academic arguments on every facet of social media and academic discourse yes. about what it means and what that art means and what that says about the world today and living in the stupidest timeline. Uh, that is so insanely refreshing uh, and and so desperately needed. So uh, hats off to that song, that man's career, uh, the video, and and all of the above. Cheers. The cans, so it doesn't make a sound. Yeah, tink. <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer. And this is Mix 6, not Hot Takes on Ice. We did one of those beforehand. We did. Uh, This is the Mix 6 where we have six conversations, drink six beers, rate them on a five-point scale, and occasionally screw things up and don't have them edited out because our producer has some sort of fanatical stance against it that I've never quite ideologically understood. (laughs) Um, So that mistake is forever chiseled in stone for the ages. You're welcome. Uh, Yeah, there we go. Uh, But we also go places occasionally. Mm -hmm. Uh, We will be going to Origins this June, uh, Columbus, Ohio. You can see... Two-thirds of us. Two-thirds of us. You can see producer Ross. Uh, He will be doing his job Live, which is not editing things. Hey-o. You can see him at every point of the con, do in his natural environment. <laughs> Just never editing. Um, I will be there talking, having nothing I say edited because we will be in face to face contact. It so makes really, you a better speaker. Really, it's like a live show. Right. everywhere you go. Just at, record at, it. at Origins. Just buy his um, drinks and get your uh, own mix six. Yeah, episode. yeah, get your own mix six episode by feeding me booze. Mm-hmm. That, that's. I should get a shirt. I just want to um, warn you all about anyway. that. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we also have a game that is live. Hey, you want to talk about that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, Party Foul, the game of drunk ducks. And if you don't know, Caleb and I have co-designed a board game uh, in which players try to uh, control zones by playing cards and be the coolest duck on campus at Duck U the week before finals. They're just there to have a fucking party in a house, people. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've not checked out our website, find us at www.partyfowlthegame.com. Also, check us out on Kickstarter. we got a whole page. There are videos, there's images, and there's an opportunity to back. Um, and we would fucking love that. And you can... Just control those ducks like some sort of duck god of revelry from on high, moving them about the room, depicting their various forms of pleasures. Or, like Prometheus, you can come down and join in their revelries yourself uh, with 
by participating in right. the duck drink. Yeah. Uh, you, you have you the choices, the, the godlike power. We'll, uh, we'll also be at Gen Con in August. All of us are going, plus Brandy, plus Sarah, uh, which is the most exciting thing. That mm-hmm. We're really getting the whole gang together, all the members of the Mix 6 podcast and their extended members as well. Uh, we'll be there. We're doing a live show on Friday. So if you're free, not running a game, not playing in a game, or unsure what you're going to do, uh, definitely come find us. We're on the Gen Con schedule at this point. So mm-hmm. check it out. I think we're at three on Friday, but I could be wrong about that. So definitely just look is what I'm saying. I will also be doing my game, Red Meerkats, about skateboarding meerkats. And uh, I will also be involved in some other podcast I've not heard of before. I think it's pronounced Ripper. Mm. RPPR. Sounds yeah. interesting. Ripper will have various programs going on at Gen Con as well. I don't know if you've heard of it before. But if you're new, uh, check out Ripper from its host. Ross Payton again, someone completely different than producer Ross. It's like uh, it's like Ripper if you edit it out the I and the E. Yes, so that's yes. how you know it's, it's Ross's. a startup. Thank you. We're looking for a <laughs> second round of angel funding. Uh, so if you're VC, we're uh, very against talk, vowels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I <laughs> mean, extremely. That's anti-vowel. just how Silicon Valley do. <laughs> which yeah. is, I just said that the I just said D. I don't say oh yes, <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So um, hey, if you've listened to us before, you know that we review and. Eight beers on a five-point scale, and this week, um, Caleb has made a scale, and and I like that you've just come down to earth on this one. Make a scale specifically about you, yeah, because this has I been working. To try, I wanted to try it out. This has been working. Yeah. The last couple of times that I have made a a rating system specific to me enough that. The only argument is, no, you don't feel that way. And I can slough that off all day. Yeah. Um, I have had much less grief. I'm not sure I did it right, though, because, you know, people have seen me before and sort of witnessed my physical prowess. I have no doubt they spent a lot of time imagining me during various physical feats. I uh, actually Because when you see this... You're just, you want to see that in motion, like poetry. Um, but, I think that's uh, the brilliant thing about your rating system. Yeah. That, that, and I'm not trying to be mean. <laughs> it perfectly reflects how I think you would be most effective. Oh, that's good then. Yeah. That's fine. No, All I think right. you crushed this. All right. Uh, so it's more universal than the seems. So we're going to rate the beers in this episode on our five-point scale. Uh, and we're going to give each of those integers uh, a label. And those labels are going to be rated, one being the worst, five being the best, by fictional weapons, uh, rating those fictional weapons by how well I, Caleb, would do in a fight with them. Right. Uh, so my skill level with my using personal them, skill level them, not against with them. these uh, with these fictional weapons. All right. Uh, so a one, a beer you never want to try again, and a weapon I never want to fight with is a batleth. I knew it. I, 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 that was the first thing. I there thought. aren't handles. It's just more I know. sword. I know. It's a terrible idea. I was like, the one's got to be the bakla. It's got to be uh, a Klingon weapon. That blood on my finger is where I cut myself on an unsharpened pencil today. <laughs> In class, so a batleth with this just was it the it, point or is it the side? No, it was unsure. It was just the side of a of like a number Wait, was two it the metal pencil. eraser bit. No, it was, no, it was just the wood, the smooth. It just wood jumped part. up and bit me. So like Jesus. a big spiky metal thing, not you, a good, you'll not die. good. You'll, yeah, not good. Disembowel for me. yourself. Two is going to be the the blades of chaos from Gods of God of War. So mm-hmm. okay, here's the thing: they at least ostensibly have handles. Right. They do have non-sword parts, um, and I would not drop them. So using them as sort of cleavers, as long as I didn't use them as they're meant to be used, I, I could maybe do something. Uh, but, you know, the sort of ribbon dancing of death 
that Kratos does is his artistic floor routine. Mm. Uh, that's, that's not going to go. Need well. a lot of forearm strength for that. Yeah, needing a lot of forearm. <laughs> uh, so number three, I'm going to go with a lightsaber. Now here's the thing. I'm not going to use it cinematically or like a sword. Uh, it's more of like a laser shiv that I hide right. and then turn on to poke people and then immediately turn off and We're run away. Jedi yeah, yeah. It's, yep. it's very much a laser shiv. Yeah. But it use, if I can use it like that, because I do get to determine how I use these weapons, uh, I think I could at least get a three by being real sneaky and laser shiving some of them. Your guy. goal would be to pull them into you then at that point, mm-hmm. really, to get in close quarters combat. And then when they least expect it, flip the switch. Oh, I don't have the force at all. Right? No, no, no. no. Like you're going to try. But here's get, the thing: right. pretty unassuming. Oh, so, like, I think I can get. I think, the, no, I think I can get them close I, through sort of skullduggery. I, yeah, I and think. Then, uh, Caleb, your plan there is to use the laser shave someone so you can get their weapon, and then hopefully it's a better weapon. Yeah, ho- hopefully. Yeah. Uh, oh, hopefully it's not a bat list. Yeah. So uh, a four. <laughs> Proton pack. Definitely. All right. It will incinerate a man. All right. Um, and I have probably extensively trained with this. My childhood proton pack was with me always. Uh, I'm mentally training with a proton pack right now. That's right. Um, and ultimately, if I had another proton pack, I could threaten to destroy the space-time continuum, which is sort of a mutually surge destruction situation. I could at least get out. There, there's something perfect about the proton pack because it allows you to be lazy without looking super lazy. Yeah, I have a backpack. That's right. He, he strapped that to him. And it's you're even moving got... around. Yeah. Also, yeah. I think it's pretty green. I mean, it, like it's, it's renewable energy, I think. Oh. I mean, well, with the exception of ghosts, yeah. If you accept ghosts as sort of like a byproduct, yeah, they did have a massive well, I mean, spill in New York. That one, I mean, time. it's not like it's gasoline yeah, powered yeah. or something. Uh, so, you know? so um, five, which is something that I think I could really dominate a fight with, are those little flighty balls of death from Phantasm. Those yeah. little sphere. It's basically a Lovecraftian drone strike, mm-hmm. which is sort of the level of energy I can put forth. I could sort of sit in a chair. And and get a sort of fushigi ball out of a case, and then just sort of let it go in the air and kill my enemies. I can expend that much energy and and really no more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could look creepy, perhaps wear a suit. Can you or, say boy in a minute? Boy, right. like oh, uh, right. I could do that. Yeah. So right. I would probably be a peak performer with those little flighty mm-hmm. death balls. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Uh, you're not the tall man. You're just kind of the average one. I, yeah, I think that you would do quite Perhaps well. the tall man would leave them unsecured <laughs> out of his little flighty ball safe, or, yeah. and I could sort of steal them. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so those are, the, those are the integers we will use to review and rate our beers. And with that note, we're going to grab another beer, and we'll be back on the other side. Spencer, I know what you're drinking because we've had it before. And can you give it a review? I mean, not a, not a, not a like. Oh, this is new and fresh. Yeah, this is. I'm digging up some stuff here. Yeah, I'm just hoping it's been long enough since I had the eight bit pale ale from Tallgrass Brewing Company mm-hmm. that my tastes have changed, their recipe has changed, or both. Yeah, uh, we'll see. Yeah. So get in there. It was on sale. I I I admit to buying it because of the name. Yeah. That's why most people do it. Yeah. Never again. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Not gotten better. Um, not gotten worse. 
probably a two. Yeah, I remember that being. A, I remember that being a, a definitely a two. A Blades of Chaos. Yeah, that's exactly will. what it is. Um, yeah, there's a reason it's been a long time since we've had it, and it's because it's a two. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's a well, good job on the guy who did the marketing for that because like, great can. Yeah, nerds yeah. don't know anything about beer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Sell it with a video game character that's not. IP and and Get while, after I, it. while I'm always a little bit concerned to like jump on bad ratings, especially early in an episode, there are also tall grass beers like the Raspberry Jam that are fives for oh, me. Oh, Raspberry Jam, hard five, right? So not close. We just missed here. I don't like super hoppy things. Pale ales aren't my beat anymore. Mm-hmm. This is a hopped up pale ale. Yeah, yeah. I didn't feel like it was going to go well. Mm-hmm. You know. Um. So okay, here we are in dissecting our fun, which is typically our first segment. We talk about board game shit, people. Um, Caleb, what are we talking about? Uh, we're going to talk about something today. So uh, I saw a number of people today at my job playing Flam Rouge, and I taught them to play it Which while I did other things. Awesome. Um, and we've played it exactly one time yep. late in an evening. Yep. Um, and I've taught it now, and I've seen them play series of advanced things, but we've only played it one time. Mm-hmm. That said, I desperately want an expansion to Flam Rouge because there are two coming out. So mm-hmm. part of this will be about Flam Rouge and why it's the best racing game and why you should all go out and buy the core game for wow. certain. But the other part will be I rarely want to buy the expansions. I have no justification for doing so. Mm. And outside of Flam Rouge, this is a pretty common experience for me where like a game I love will come out with an expansion. Alchemist comes to mind. Yep. A game that I convince no one to play with me because it is so intense. And I'm like, ooh, there's an expansion to Alchemist. I should get that. When in fact, I have not exhausted a tenth of what oh, Alchemist yeah. has to offer for yeah. me. I have not exhausted all the tracks in Flam Rouge. In fact, I've done literally a single track in Flam Rouge oh, playing wow. it myself. Um, and yet, want to go all in on these expansions. And so... What do we do with that? Like, that feels like a pretty common board game it's, sort of milieu. It is so common. I think, um, so part of it, I think, is the whirlwind of board game purchasing. Like, once you really get into it, it's such an easy hobby, um, you know, resource constraints aside, just to buy more and more and more, which is why, which is why you know, shelfies are a thing. Um, but I know this is true because, like, we've played, what, we've played Scythe twice now together? Yeah. I've probably played Scythe a total of six or seven times, which still feels like six years of my life is gone. Yeah. Worth it, by the way. Um, and I won a Scythe expansion uh, at Moon City Con a few weeks ago. That all honestly probably never open. But I want to buy the other Scythe expansion, <laughs> even though the people that I play games with most frequently, we don't really play Scythe all that often. And I am in I'd the I'd like to play it more. Because it's fucking great, you yeah. would. Um, no, I totally get it. But it's you. sort of aspirational. Like, so, when am I ever going to play this core game yeah. enough to justify needing that much more game? So let me ask you, let me ask the question in a slightly different um, uh, paradigm. So uh, in the car with a friend the other day talking about the mowing equipment they just purchased... And, like, how fucking cool this mower was and how they needed a new mower because their new mower or their old mower wasn't working as well. And they'd gotten a new, like, mulcher or some shit. And they really need – I don't know. And we started talking about the nature of completing things, having collections and sets of things. And <clears throat> for this person, yeah, there was some need for a new mower, maybe. But really it was about this is the thing I'm all in on. I have really – I'm a gearhead for this shit. And, like, I don't really have anything like that. Except for, I think, board games and board oh, game God, expansions. Oh, God, the lawn care guy? But we're just... But, but it's cardboard? Just board it's just... It, that's exactly I don't know if I can keep functioning knowing that's what I am. I mean, I think that's and a little bit, the man. Converse, damn it. I think the... I think... I oh, think expansions are your gear headery I stared into the out. abyss and I saw myself. Yeah. Yeah. But oh. here's the thing. Here's the thing. A, I don't think it's a bad thing. 
Um, obviously, because I'm doing it. All right. B, we have found a path, an outlet to talk about it very productively. Welcome to the Mix 6 podcast. Oh, right now everything is in the like, well... I could talk about it on the mix six. That's right. Yeah, that's <laughs> technically right. it's research. Right. And see, and I think this is the other important bit um, that at least the primary means by which you and I get together, or the four of us get together, is is board game related. Yeah. And so it also serves to enhance what is our standard mode of interaction in the first place, mm-hmm. right? So I see it. I see it solving some problems. I see it, you know, kind of enhancing our our time together. None of that's a problem for me. Having said that. I have a bunch of fucking things I've never opened. We're not going to talk about the shame shelf. I'm talking about things specifically related to other games. Yeah. Expansions that I'm not going to fucking touch. Yeah. Maybe forever because I don't need to because base games are great. Mm-hmm. Why do I continue to buy them? I think because I'm a completionist. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably it. I, right? think, I think those are my hedge trimmers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Flamme Rouge is uh, fantastic. Wonderful. Uh, if you haven't played it before, it's very much like a game like Downforce, which we've talked about before, only rather than uh, trying to sort of like play your bets and like play the field, the horse racing mechanic of yep. Downforce, it is very much about you want to win the, win the race. Uh, I'm going to butcher the French pronunciation, but you have a sprinter and a rollier. Sure, let's do that. Uh, which is basically like a base and a faster rollier. Yeah, yeah, like there we go. Yeah. That, we got it. You're welcome. Now that was that was accurate. Um, and uh, you have this sort of this two lane track that's variable. You build this track out of this sort of series of interlocking parts, and they each have two sides, so you can bend lots of alternate tracks, which is very interesting. And uh, you have cards, so you have these two decks of cards: one for the S, one for the R. And you draw four from one deck, you pick one, and you play it, and then the rest go on a recycle deck. Yep. You draw four from the other deck, you pick one, you play it. Everyone turns them at the same time, and it has simultaneous resolution, which is great. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But the cards you played go out of the game. Right. And then you get into this interesting mechanic where, like, it's cycling. So slipstreaming super important. You have to get right behind someone and get into the where their cavitation is, like where they're cutting the air. Yeah, you're drafting. It'll draw you forward as drafting. And anytime you have this free space in front of you, you're not part of the pack. You have to pull from a deck called Exhaustion Cards, which are all shitty two-move cards. And those go in your deck to replace that card you just spin. Slowing yourself down. So you're slowly getting more and more exhausted, which is really interesting because you're sort of in this area of like breakaway, go for it. It's far more realistic to racing than say something like downforce yeah. is because uh, there is a drafting, but there's no penalty for not drafting. Right. You just lose the additional space. Furthermore, there's hills, which cap your movement right. and I've not rating with hills yet, yeah. and don't slipstream. And then downhills, which maximize your movement rating. So on a downhill, you could play your two card. The minimum movement on a downhill is five spaces. Love it. So you're burning through those crap cards on your downhill. And it gives this sort of endurance thing. It's this race thing. You can play downforce with five because you can have someone just call the race and move the people. Oh. like And that's what I was kind of doing it today for people I was showing it to. And it's just super fun, and I love it. But at the same time, like, the Pelion expansion is going to have cobblestones. So cool. Which changes if there's going to be, like, obstructions in the road, different tracks, new tile tracks. And then you get this sort of, like, this pitch car kind of thing. It's like, yeah. I wonder what the biggest track we could build right. was. Like, how, how big could we make this game? And, like, you know, I just really want to see that happen, even though, like I said, of the original eight tracks in right. the core game... I have played one of them one time, 
And yet I'm like, mm, yeah. we, I should better pre-order that in case it sells out. Yeah. Uh, and I, my only justification right now is like mix six game design kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to pretend like I wouldn't be feeling this if I wasn't talking about it on a microphone. No. Because I am a... You're feeling it. Yeah. I, w- I want to talk to you just about your anti- animatedness. Oof. Around this, you're feeling this. Yes, like you yeah. would play this game. So you're right. Uh, I've only played Flamme Rouge once. I've played a couple of variants of the racing genre, though. Um, Flamme Rouge is my probably my favorite up to this point. Two reasons: one, I just think the art is great. Um, like I really appreciate very good art. Kind of like the 1920s watercolor, a little bit jokey. Yeah, go go pre. Performance enhancing drugs. If you're going to make a cycling game, right? Like, exactly. don't, I don't want to play Lance Armstrong. Oh, I pulled a card that says 18. Right, I win. Like, yeah, that kind of stuff. I'm flying. <laughs> um, so, so I really appreciate the art too. One of the things I really like, um, and and I think your description does a good job of this. Flam Rouge is is um, a strategy game. There, there can be a lot of thinking and strategy which goes into it, but it's not so difficult in its mechanic that it would be hard to get into. So yes. if you've got a gaming group who's reasonably seasoned, like understands mechanics. Oh, these people were not gamers. Right. But you can show someone how to play Flamme Rouge in five minutes. And it feels better than your average, like, hey, let's play a board game and see what happens. Yeah. So hard, hard sell for Flamme Rouge here. Uh, I, w- I would like to play that again. Obviously, we're playing Scythe first. Um, <laughs> my hope at this point is not only that I will get the Invaders from a Far expansion for my birthday, which is in 12 short days, but also that I will get the enhanced resources and the scythe money, oh, the, f- the metal money. But here's the thing. We haven't arrived anywhere on this. Like, no. We've, we've just acknowledged we are going to cave yeah. to this impulse. Oh, yeah. I and have a problem. We, we gonna, like, is that good or bad, no, it's though? Because like, right. it's, like, it's not like I'm doing heroin or anything, right? I could have a worse problem. I could, like, for example, <laughs> uh, drink too much beer. I, no, I don't understand. Okay. Well, on that note, we're going to get... Uh, well, we're going to... We're going to get more beer. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. A, another, another topic. Because and, as we established, it's not a problem. That's right. Ex- there it is. Bingo. Yeah. Cheers. Be, be right back, nerds. <laughs> Caleb, what are you drinking? I'm going to drink from Scuttlebutt Brewing Company, the Homeport Blonde Ale. Out of Everett, Wisconsin? Sure. That's the uh, WA? Washington. Washington? Never yeah, mind. Scuttled right, there, no a, I'm not good at stuff. No yeah. A in Wisconsin. So, <laughs> yeah, no. there is no A. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. That's um, not... not is, did I drink a thing? Oh. What's the scuttlebutt? Oh, he just looks perplexed. The word... Is, oh, he's going back for a third. Oh, wow. This is a new... This is... This is now, it's a vexing, perplexing Truly beer. a scientific method. Can you though. taste that? Well, I mean, not yet. Like, I'm gonna... I'm, I'm asking if you can taste it, like, as an action, and, like, once you've put it in your mouth, can oh. you taste anything happen? Wow. And then it's just gone. Yeah. Oh, there was cold liquid in my mouth. Yeah. yeah. What, what do we do with, like, something that is only texture? Um... Three, I guess. I mean, you're staying hydrated. Maybe I don't think it's not offensive. I don't think it's kind of interesting. Like it it like interesting. Yeah, (laughs) interesting like a vacuum. Like, (laughs) (laughs) like um. Now, to be fair, I think that beer is kind of old. Uh, I think we got it from last Gen Con. I believe that was uh, driven uh, from Seattle by. Well, that's uh, only a year. All right. Well, a three is not 
offensive yeah. then. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it tastes like my own mouth. Yeah, but like I think we need to have a team meeting after because I don't like the idea that because it's not offensive, but I don't know what to do with it, it gets thrown into the three category. I know, but like we didn't have a meeting beforehand, and as we've established, right, right. he will not edit this. That's true. So yeah. we are stuck with where we're at. Three, three where it is. Okay. <laughs> See, now I'm definitely not going to edit it. <laughs> I love how you keep blaming it on me. That's the, that is my favorite part of the bit, how it's my fault, and I've built this for myself. Yeah. That's really great. <laughs> um, hey, we're we're kind of combining some segments here. Yeah. Um, so we have recently introduced... To mix six fusion. Bingo. Let's we, hit the sound effect on that one, Russ. You just did a sound Ru- effect. There yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's my fault. We uh, we have introduced, I think, this year the "We Make a Pair" segment, where we beer we pair beer with other things, mm-hmm. uh, and we're happening to pair beer with sports today. And so we've interpreted a listener submitted question to make a segment of this thing, Caleb. Uh, so Greg Bennett suggests beers and sporting events. What do you drink while watching sports? Could be the type of sport, could be the location, stadium, bar, home, etc. So, Greg, this answer has been created during the beer wars of the 80s, a dark time. Uh, And the answer is Bush Light for every physical activity. That's it. And I'm sorry, but Anheuser-Busch won in the long, bloody battle. And uh, I just call Bush Light. There's a reason people scream that at every sporting event, uh, hopefully on Earth and definitely in... God's own country, the USA. That's right. Uh, so we're going to have to adjust your suggestion a little bit. Um, so we feel like beer companies are really staked out brands of beer for watching sport events. So we're going to alter the suggestion to hit an untapped market. Sports players. Love it. You know who's not drinking enough beer during a game? Athletes. Athletes. Oddly enough, not drinking enough <laughs> while they play. Uh, so what beer do you drink while playing certain sports? Uh, and here's how we're going to do it. Make a little game of it. One co-host is going to pick the sport. Right. The other co-host has to pick the beer to Love go it. with And we have no idea the sports that each other have picked. I don't really feel like it's an episode anymore until we've gone through and redacted our choices That's for right. at least one thing. Yep. And I just had to add one in here. <laughs> yep. yep, here we are. Yep. Um, you want to you wanna go first or you want me to go first? You go first. Okay, so the first sport that you have to pick the appropriate beer to drink while playing, mm-hmm. kind, of, kind of a softball here, pun intended, shuffleboard. Ooh. So we play a lot of shuffleboard when yeah. we go to bars that have shuffleboards. Yes. Um, one, one might say we play too much shuffleboard, in and fact. One would be wrong. When given the opportunity. Um, some might say that shuffleboard isn't an uh, athletic event, but some could fuck off. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> how I feel about that. So, Caleb, what to drink while shuffleboarding? I feel like it's going to be hard to recreate other places, but mm. it doesn't stop it from being the pinnacle of the drink to have while shuffleboarding. Nor does it stop its place in my heart. Uh-oh. I'm going to say a Pabsinth. Oh, Which God. is a PBR mixed with Absinthe, oh my God. which was the signature cocktail of our hands-down favorite bar in Springfield bar. before it closed. Rest in peace. Uh, Donnie, never forget. Yeah. Uh, but a, an ice-cold Pabsinth uh, really got the party started. And kept it going. And ended it. Until it abruptly stopped it. <laughs> uh, but I had some mean shuffleboard games uh, while, while having a pabsinth on the side. You also got to walk it around. He would pour it in kind of a goblet. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you, It was out of a Stella glass. That's right. So it was sort of regal. That's right. As if you were ruling the shuffleboard table. But had anyone known better, they would have known that it was literally pabst. Yeah. And, and and like two shots of absinthe. Yeah, but but it, it got the head game, which right. is why it's good for sports. That's like true. you you literally arrive with your goblet of pabsinth, right? King of the boards, mm, plebes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that would be my recommendation. Hard to recreate. 
I believe he used St. George absinthe, if you want to try that at home. Uh, but also, be real careful trying it yeah, at home. Yeah, be, be real careful trying it at home. That thing was uh, delicious and went sideways so fast. Yeah, it did, it did get after you. Um, all right, I'm going to drop one on you then. Cricket. Oh, my God. Um, how does one cricket? Okay, so <laughs> here's what I'm thinking. All right, off the cuff. I need to be a little mobile. Um, I'm going to need a free hand. You're so. also in a lovely sweater, though. Yeah, lovely sweater. Oh, that's nice right. Nice white pants. I'm going to look I'm gonna look kind of nice. Yeah. Um, I need to be a little formal, but also, like, ready to throw down. Um, <laughs> All those cricket fights, man. Yeah. Mm. You know it gets real. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it's happened. <laughs> but but I'm also... It's over 100 years. Right. So. I'm also... I can't wait for the comments like, yeah. oh, you don't know about the cricket riots of 1878. <laughs> I'm also outside. Died. So it's it's hot. <laughs> I need something that's kind of... Ref- uh, yeah, ginger lemon radler. Um, oh, yeah. I'm going to need a You're refreshment. in a sweater and it's summer. That's exactly right. Like, I'm in a sweater. You need something to cool down. Yep. Uh, it's light. It's, it's a cable knit son of a bitch, too. As like. I understand it, cricket games are 19 hours minimum. Yeah. And so I'll need something that I can drink a lot of. So I'll go to the bowl. I don't think Rattler would stain on that white cable. No, it definitely like, wouldn't. Yeah, it's, it's a clearish liquid. All right. Next for you. Um, Why is that so long? Well, because I had to put in the... That's the, how, the five inches of redacted text. Common tongue. All right. What would you drink while playing bags, commonly referred to but disgustingly referred to as cornhole? I love your definition of sports. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Playing cornhole, uh, which I think we might have to do some some education for our guests. Uh, I don't think... I think there's a segment of the population that has never played bags. Really? And I think there's a larger segment of the population that has never called bags cornhole. Right. God bless those people, though. <laughs> yes. So, uh, bag, what I call bags, what other people might call cornhole, but I refuse to do, um, you set functionally two, like, giant slats of wood up at, uh, I don't know, call it like a 40-degree angle on their haunches, uh, about 20 feet apart from one another, and you they, there is a hole cut in the top middle of those boards. Uh, you have bean bags, and you are throwing those bean bags across the way at one another's boards, attempting to land them on the board for a point or get them in the hole for three points. First person to 21 wins. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you drink while playing this magnificent game? Oh, man. What would I drink? Um, I'm going to go with... I know, right? Because the obvious answer, again, is Bush Light. Yeah, the obvious answer is Bush Light. Um, I'm going to go with a uh, Mother's Wit's End. Wow. A light wit. It's in a bottle, though, which is good for your balance on bags. Bags is all about getting centered on the opposing. Here's my door. argument against the bottle, though. If mm-hmm. it's hot out, the bottle will sweat, and you got wet hands picking up those bags. Never have to worry about that with the speed at which I drink beer. Oh, that's true. So yep, as point. a professional, mm-hmm. that's not something I have to worry about. Oh, yeah. Look at you. Uh, You're prepped and ready to so, roll. So, yeah, wit's in. That's what I'm going with. All right. Uh, I'm going to propose... Throwing the discus oh my God. in track and field. Oh, my God. <laughs> a lot of spinning. <laughs> a lot of spinning. A lot of spinning around. What do you drink while doing that? Yeah, we do that for fun. <laughs> yeah. We just go to the field <laughs> and throw discus. Hey, Spoa's birthday party. Yeah. We might have a discus competition. We actually, Who knows? yes, there will be discus at the birthday party. <laughs> Are you a party. discus aficionado? Obviously. Oh, sorry. And while I'm doing that, I'll be drinking Corona. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. Of the, Not a high ABV, which is nice. That's what I'm going for here. I'm going for will do well outside. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm going to drink it quickly enough that it's not going to get super hot. The lime sort of keeps your that's right. your, your beer from coming out as you sort of that's whirling right. dervish around. The physics you of it. You can put the beer down between. No. No. <laughs> no. no. Silly Ross. The physics of <laughs> no. it is good. <laughs> Nonsense. That's not the principle. L- low ABV, so the biochemistry is on your side, mm-hmm. and you're going to need all the help you can get there. Yeah. Both spinning and doing something physical while drinking beer. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go Corona. Yeah, that's a good pick. I, pick. I fucking like Coronas. Yeah. I mean, I've, we've I, talked about a, this. As well you should. Yeah. Uh, the worst part of the Fast and Furious trilogy is when uh, Dom orders a keg of Corona, right. which shouldn't be allowed. Yeah. Like, yeah. they shouldn't make them in that. It should be a glass bottle. Um, um, last one. Ready? Yeah. Curling. Curling. Oh, uh, this is obvious. Molson's. There you go. It's like that. That that was a. Right. I almost put that on there, but I'm like, well, no, it's Molson's. Well, I just wanted to make sure we were on. The it's same like page the here. national Canadian beer. I like, don't even know that for I, the national Canadian sport, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know that it I should be. If it is, well, I think that's hockey. Actually, I'm jealous. Yeah, I'm jealous. Know. They have curling. If cur- if I was emperor of the USA, and we have those now, uh, I would make curling the national sport, and I'd be glad we stole it away, Canada. Get on that before I snatch it right up. Would you make Molson the the curling beer then? I mean, I feel like as a nod to tradition, one has to. You know what I thought would have been a sneaky good pick here? Mm. It's cold. Uh, you want something of the winter, something a little bit spicy. I thought the Schlafly Pumpkin Ale would have been a sneaky Ooh, good Ooh, that'd pick be here. good. Yeah. Yeah. Fall. Uh, yeah. And you don't want that beer to heat up. I could do a Guinness or some sort of stout, too, as that well. Feels too Because he- you are moving, right? I mean, you're sliding, I you're mean, sweeping. You're curling. Well. Like, I'll half let, of I'll, your movement in curling is just slowly drifting across the ice. I'll let you take this up with Canada. Uh, okay, all right. Uh, well, if if the national sport isn't currently Canada, you just missed out. And I'm sorry. <laughs> Fencing. Now, I want you to imagine this, all right? right. No, I, yeah, I got Epi, it. Epi. Yeah. Other hand out there with a beer. Yeah. All right, uh, as you, they go back and forth on the line. You do know they wear masks, right? Yeah. Yeah. So It's going to be messy. <laughs> okay. Hey, that mask has holes in it. That's it, right. it does. So it is a mesh. You pour it. It is a mesh. You pour it through the mesh. Pour it down the top of the mesh, and you let it run trickle down. Yeah, yeah. there's that's an angle. Just, that's hard on the mask. <laughs> like it's well, gonna... I mean, harder than a sword. They're blunted. <laughs> I, think, like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think you're solving two functions here. Yeah, thematically, what makes the goal sense. was not to question the premise, Ross. Right. The goal was to pick the beer. Oh. I'm just saying you could do it. Drink between matches. <laughs> Um, what thematically goes? I'm now holding my arms up in a fencing motion to yes. imagine what makes yeah, sense. Yeah, what here. goes in that other hand? Yeah, thematically, what makes sense with fencing given the sport, and then what would make sense in this hand? And I think the answer is a uh, Stella Artois on draft. Ooh, nice! It feels like it a, feels classier, right? Right. right. Uh, you like do a, want a green bottle for fencing, don't right? You? Appropriately, uh, like appropriately hoity, which fencing feels a little mm-hmm. bit hoity. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, uh, it. That bottle or that Stella glass are going to look really nice held above your head at that angle. And the thing is, both of which, Perry, even though they have this sort of classy signature they don't deserve, both of which have been broken and used as sort of stabbing weapons in many bars and probably across America right now. I carry a fencing uh, sword there's on me no, all the time. So you lose that epi. Go to the Stella bottle. Yep. Just crack it across your mesh. No, don't do that. Get after it. No, he's no. high stakes fencing. My understanding um, is that that's how they do it in Lithuania. 
<laughs> no. Where they fence often and drink Stella. Um, well, in case any of you are fencing, throwing a discus, playing cricket, curling, throwing some bags, or playing shuffleboard in the next couple of weeks, you're welcome in advance. And we just made perfect. Actually, there are yes. German fencing groups called, uh, style called the Schlager where it is to uh, get cool facial scars. Like, that's the goal. So they use sharp blades with that. Well, then just use the broken yeah. half of the bottle. And, and yeah. how far is that away from inventing a new school of fencing called drunken fencing? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're German. They're probably drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you wow. go. Uh, more well, beer. He said that, not us. Yeah, That's yeah that was Ross. producer Ross. Uh, we're moving. <laughs> we on know now. how German fencers are. You, you can contribute to us and not him. Uh, <laughs> you can't. That's literally not how any of this works. We're gonna get more beer. We'll be right back. What are you drinking? Uh, from Upland Brewing Company. The Dragonfly IPA, which should obviously just be called the Dragonfly PA. So you're welcome. God, up yes. Yeah. Send me my check. Get the lawyers working on that immediately. I feel like we've had this, but the list says that we haven't. So I'm just going to give it a shot and see what happens. we got to go with the list. Unless Control-F failed me. It may have. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't need that anxiety in my life. We already repeated a topic last episode, Ross. Oh, God. Um, yeah, I don't care for that. Um <laughs> That's it's an IPA, so uphill battle, and not a particularly um, not one that I particularly like is what I want to say. That's probably another two for me. Blades mm. of Chaos, which which um, in terms of taste is not great. In terms of of topicality, though, yeah. given that I've just now gotten to the point in Gods of War where or God of War where yeah. one gets some cool stuff back. Yeah. This actually feels very on brand for me at the moment. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> kind of a two for one here. All right. uh, what are we talking about? Uh, we're going to talk about in Ask Mixed Six, uh, something that Sean Whalen asked. He asked, uh, What are your top three popular pieces of media that you cannot enjoy because of arbitrary nitpicks or petty pet peeves? I actually picked this question because I first thought of producer Ross when I heard it. Uh, talking about a Star Trek film that uh, we will no doubt talk about again later. Um, But uh, I have these things, too. Uh, And these are things that you know aren't badly made, but there's something you can't get past that seemingly no one else cares about, uh, which I think is a very interesting question. Mm -hmm, So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. Stuff that ruins shit that shouldn't ruin shit. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start. I'm going to swing big here. Um Almost anything by Kanye West, but if I had to time bind it, anything after 808s and Heartbreak. Here's the thing. I don't know if that's arbitrary enough. Well. Because he's a terrible human. Right. And I can't overstate that. Yeah. <laughs> Just a real repugnant stain upon humanity. But there is, so there's a portion of Kanye music that, that does not exist outside of Kanye, but exists before I really understood the level to which I I abhorred Kanye West. Yeah. And for some reason, even though I know that, and in some ways, this is a, that, that question of author and, and how much we can distance ourselves from that from you know all these years ago now at this point functionally. Um, but for some reason, that stuff doesn't get as much grime because I still enjoy some of that music a lot on it as as compared to the newer things where I cannot separate Kanye being an audacious asshole from also he's releasing music that I just don't care for and honestly I'm not going to listen to even to figure out if I care for it. Yeah. So that's my first big swing on this one. I I know that I'm 
I know that I'm wrong about this music not being good. Many people tell me all of the time how wrong I am. I just don't care. I can't do it. Yeah. Uh, what's no. what's what's third? I guess are we doing. We're going backwards here. Yeah. I mean, I'll go with my broad strokes too, uh, and I will get to specifics because I think that's what Sean wanted. But mine is going to be every depiction, and I think this is true of anyone who's deep into something, especially occupationally, to the point where like you can't enjoy it as your escapism. Uh, so probably like doctors on medical shows and like police officers with mm-hmm. firearms verisimilitude and stuff like that. Uh, it's going to be every depiction of teaching on film pretty much ever ad infinitum. Mm-hmm. Just I've never seen it done well uh, or if it's been done well, I've never seen it to the point where I want to keep watching it because it's just like being at work. So I'm pretty much bitchy about it any way you cut it. It's either done well, which is super rare, and I'm like, oh, back at work. Glad I went to this movie. Or it's just completely ridiculous. Our teachers are more often than not the villain in any form of yeah. fiction. Yeah, like, you, it's not all Dead Poet Society. Mostly, like, you're the guy that Twisted Sister, you know, th- gives a swirly while saying we're not going to take it in some version of equally rebellious nonsense. Um, don't care for it. Never will. Not not there for a teacher movie of any stripe. Yep. Yep. Uh, same vein, slightly different subtopic. Uh, maybe not, ev- not every, but most de- fictional depictions of speech and debate things. Um, so speech and debate was a large portion of my life for the, I don't know, the bulk of it, I guess. I mean, through high school, through college, and then I coached it for a few years. So, you know, there's 10 years or whatever in there. Um, it, it, it always devolves into one of two terribly awful archetypes, um, either like the very obnoxious, uh, overly smart, but pedantic, really is probably a better word, the overly pedantic kid uh, who's just walking around saying, well, actually to people or um, the like, oh, look, it's cute because they're being nerdy. And neither of those is, like, really an accurate depiction of a lot of what I dealt with. I mean, were there overly pedantic people? Yes. Was I one of them? Probably. Was it also cute when I was being nerdy? I would fucking hope so. (laughs) Um, But by and large, the people that I interacted with in the speech and debate community were just genuinely curious people who found a bunch of interesting outlets to go learn more about stuff. Yeah, the the lack of depth and detail is distracting. Right. Like, when when I thought of the teaching thing, I thought about Half Nelson, when Ryan Gosling tries, amongst his, like, social spiral into drug addiction— tries to teach a group of sixth graders about dialectics, yeah. like Hegelian dialectics, and that's all his teaching scenes. And I acknowledge that like he's coming apart at the seams, and that's why he thinks that's a good idea, and it's like a, a good way to dramatically depict that. Right. But when that doesn't work in the classroom, and it doesn't work in the film, it doesn't work in a way that's not hard enough for me. Right, like, right. It's like, they're just like, why is this so depressing? I'm like, no, man, they don't fucking... They're sixth graders. They're not going to fucking get it. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, they're going to be playing with fidget spinners right. on their phones. Like, it's not going to be, like, a, a desperate seeking to educate people who aren't ready for it. Like, right. it, and it's, it's a sort of lapse of depth yeah. is distracting. So, that's like, right. those, those stereotypes do exist right. for reasons. Yes, but if that's it... It's such an incomplete rendering of the thing. Yeah. And not only is it the stereotypes or archetypes of characters, I mean, then then there's this... And I get that usually because it's done as a scene or as a part of a larger story, and so therefore there's not a lot of time to explore um, the depths of all of this. But by and large, it's also... Lar- it's most commonly just kids picking some very ridiculous or or 
meatless topic. You know what I mean? And then it's like, I am on the affirmative. I think that we should be worried about global warming. And then someone else being like, nah, who knows? And that's it. And, like, and there's stuff like, I think the great debaters doesn't fall into that. Right. But at the same time, like it's fallen into that so much. And you're so gun shy right. of it. Like you probably went, didn't go to see it. I didn't. Yeah, I exactly. Didn't, I did not see that movie. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Because I avoid depictions of speech and debate things. I'm with you, man. Yeah, I'm with you. Exactly. Um, uh, mine is going to be the film The Ritual. Uh, very well shot. Very well directed. Super creepy. Great design, front to back. I won't ruin anything. It is really right up my alley in every aspect, aspect except I really, really wanted every character in that movie to die. Because they were painfully offensively stupid. There were elements of the writing that made me loathe every character, and I didn't loathe them for, like, the flaws in human nature that are supposed to be exposed through the lack of agency in horror writing. I hated them just because they were all kinds of pieces of shit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I couldn't care that anything happened to any of them. Like, it was really the falling down point. There's one character in particular who sort of drives the entire plot forward with his shitheadery, where I'm just like... Y'all could have killed him in the woods and said he tripped and broke his neck, and I wouldn't have convicted you. <laughs> like, you didn't need a monster. You could have just slit his throat ear to ear, but, like, he tripped and hit a rock. <laughs> Nothing we could do Very back on holiday. Rock. Like, and I'd have been like, yeah, I mean, that's a solid film. It had a good ending. They killed that awful person, um, but he was the driving force of the plot and he was just an insufferable asshole and I didn't care. I didn't, I didn't care. Was enough. he the one who twisted his ankle early on? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, no redeeming qualities in that no. character whatsoever. Uh, number one, I guess for me, um, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Like, Oh yeah. So you, you can, you can count on one hand, the number of shows that people always say, Oh my God, you haven't watched that. You need to watch it. Here's why. And it's like breaking bad. People tell me to finish Dexter, even though I'm not fucking doing that. No, that's a lie. That's it was, a trick. It was Game of Thrones before I got into Game of Thrones. And it's, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Always makes the fucking list. Um, listen, I've tried. Uh, Mad Men also makes the list. I've tried multiple times. I've watched the first three to six episodes of It's Always Sun in Philadelphia, like four or five times, I think. It's just yelling. Like, that's all it is. Like, there's a little exposition and then yelling. And then, like, a little exposition and then yelling. And then people are like, well, just skip to the stuff where Danny DeVito shows up. So I tried that. And you know what Danny DeVito spends a lot of time doing? Yelling. (laughs) That show is just horrible people doing horrible things, yelling at each other. And I... I, I find it stressful. Uh, I find it anxiety-inducing. I don't think that because the characters are awful, any of their shenanigans are funny. I think they're malicious and mean. And even in their um, idiocy, I think that they are being awful humans. Nothing about it I like. And I've tried so I mean, so the hard. creators of the show would agree with you. Yeah, so, right. Some of and those, I, I some of those work for me because the, the thing about It's Always Sunny is it's taken to an extreme. Right. To the point where I can laugh at its absurdity occasionally, but it's the Seinfeld problem. Yeah. Like, oh, it's a bunch of assholes hanging out together. Right. right. I should care because of... Right. Arrested Development, right? Reasons. Same problem. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. It, that Arrested Development to me, that everyone on... I, it's hard to root for actually See, anyone well, on the, the show. Well, the later Arrested Development is that Michael be- loses right. its moral center. That's right. He yeah. becomes part of the idiocy, and I'm like... 
Well, no, that's why it works. Right. Like, you, you had a straight man. That's yep. why it works. His sort of long-suffering is the principle of right. it. But it's also not 27 to 31 minutes of yelling. Yeah. And that, for me, is the every almost everything I've seen in It's See, Always Sunny in Philadelphia is at a 10 all <laughs> of the time. Mm-hmm. I have something related, but it's not quite the same. It's the uh, my problem with The Office uh, is oh, that God. I cannot watch The Office because it's just intensely – I just cringe at it because the characters aren't yeah. – some of them are malicious, but some of them are so – Oblivious that they're just embarrassing themselves in public. Yeah, and I, I don't can't take joy in other people's embarrassment. I have contact embarrassment. I feel it with them. Yeah, exactly. So I watching The Office for me is like. See, I can watch Always Sunny because they're doing they're horrible human beings, and right. I laugh, and they cause their own problems, right. and they're insane. Yes. And the, so for me, I like that kind of deconstruction of sitcom tropes. Right. Uh, blah blah blah. But like The Office, I can't because they're just right. Mm-hmm. It's making fun of someone who doesn't understand what's going on. Yeah. I also have contact embarrassment. Also think The Office is maybe the greatest show in. It's history. not oh, right. It's so, definitely right. not. So that's the trick. <laughs> right, that's, a, that's a different segment. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with Moonrise Kingdom. Um, I get. So I love. Okay, I love Wes Anderson. This one's the biggest one for me because I love Wes Anderson. Right, like I'm all in on the Wes Anderson bit. Um, but, but, uh, Moonrise Kingdom is. Uh, it's not creepy. I don't think it's exploitative. I, I'm not putting that on the director or the film or anything like that. Because uh, it's uh, sexualizing minors as minors sexualize themselves because they're moving into that space. Uh, but like the idea as a teacher of like, oh, they want to get married. At, we're just going to do that. And like it just the visualization of it and like anything of it as a teacher, it just creeps me out too hard. And I'm like, yes, it's a great authentic artistic vision that is very realistic to people's lived experiences. Please, let's pick any other Wes Anderson movie, because I'm not into it. Yeah, This one's tough for me, because I I, I hear your argument, and, and I understand it. It's just also not how I feel about that. And I get you know that. I mean? I'm, and I'm not arguing my... I'm not saying that my view of the film is rational right. or even fair. Sure. It's just my that's view where you are. of the right. film. Yep. Yeah. No, I, get, I mean, that's the nature of this nitpicky bit, right? Because yeah. I look at that, and I think that Moonrise might might be my favorite Wes Anderson movie. <sighs> I mean, maybe <sighs> not, but but it's certainly... It's competing for top two, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, but your assessment... Your explanation of your assessment is not wrong. Yeah. Um, but I get why it's also really hard to watch then. Yeah. Um, had they made, had the kids been like five years older, then it's not sexualization of minors, but it's also then not the same film. You know what yeah. I mean? That's kind of the fucking trick. Uh, it's again, like, and I'm not saying it's a bad film. I'm right. saying I, it's a film I can't enjoy. Yeah. Nope. Totally get that. Um, really interesting question. This one, of all of the preparatory things I needed to do for this episode, this is the one that I was literally typing stuff the moment we I will started. say I picked this episode because one time Ross and the nerds talked about the <laughs> Star Trek Wrath of Khan for no less than 45 minutes about the inclusion of a cyborg character in literally five seconds of film in the background. And that was an hour of my life talking about why the film was bad that long. because they included a cyborg. And well, I can't remember how long cause it ended with me screaming. Oh my fucking God. It's a star Trek movie. It's space magic. Get over it. And then storming out of the room. Uh, to which I assume they proceeded to continue talking about it because that's about as much impact as I have on anything. Uh, so that 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 was just like, oh, it's that question, <laughs> it's that thing yeah. where yeah, they got over like that they have spaceship with teleporters 
And they focused on like, well, why aren't all but the workers cyborgs? cyborgs? Why are it like and just, just extrapolated ad infinitum, and it just d- d- drove me insane. You are why we drink. Yes, Ross. that's that's you, really you what you drank I to well say. Be- long before you knew me. You can't prove that. I can. Uh, well, I'm to- the reason. Oh, yep. I'm the reason you don't edit. So you're the reason we drink. <laughs> Bingo. And we'll end it on that. <laughs> Caleb, what is that fancy can that you've got? It is a lovely little can. It is Sierra Nevada's Hazy Little Thang IPA. It's it's Thing on the can, but if you have Thing and you can pronounce it Thang, right. you definitely should. you got to do it. Um, so I'm going to drink it. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that is the purpose of this show. Yeah. That's why we get here. It's Yeah. So I mean, we looking can document it for tax thing. deduction purposes. Hmm. It's actually pretty good as an IPA. Oh. Wow. Like a three or four, good. Uh, I think it's. Uh, I think it's a proton pack. Hey, that's a four. That's oh a four. wow! I'll t- okay, I'm gonna jump in there. I mean, it tastes like an IPA, but it's like a well balanced IPA. IPA. It's not like, <laughs> have you heard of hops? And then it <laughs> gives you a suppository of them. <laughs> oh, like it is. Really didn't need that much. More nuance. Hey, you know what? If you don't, if you don't need that image, then you don't need to observe craft brewing in our year of our Lord 2018. <laughs> actually, they are not nuanced, but this is. That so. is actually a very good IPA. That's a very good IPA. Yeah, I would drink the shit out of it. Yeah, that. that's solid. Hmm. Uh, it it loses on a four for being an IPA. So oh, yeah, I good will for fully them. acknowledge that. Wow, I would. I would drink that beer regularly. Like yeah, I would buy that tasty. beer and drink it. Yeah. Like, damn. Yeah, it's really yeah. Yeah, it's very good. Um hey, we're trying we're trying this segment for the second time now. Overwhelming number one vote getter. Which is crazy to me. Um, but pretty excited about it. Yeah. Um it's called Will Never Bother Be Author. <laughs> um which I think we killed a little bit on that pun. <laughs> And uh, the last time we did this, uh, Ross was appropriately too drunk uh, to may remember the whole thing. Were you? Um, yeah, okay. Fun. Yeah. So whatever. <laughs> he was Mabot support. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the premise here is um, we ask on Twitter and uh, we asked and received over 80 votes, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it feels like a lot to us. So fuck you guys. Okay. Wow. Uh, over 80 votes for a type of genre in which Caleb and I would collectively write a hypothetical novel that we'll never actually write. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. today, the genre you've picked is Western. Last time it was romance. Super excited for it. Yeah. And Ross will then give us critical elements that okay. the story must also include. Three of them. Right. Yeah, three elements. All right. That are yeah. not I have included three. in previous ones. They're, these are all new. And you cannot and I, use coelacanth. I, I'm not. Just want to be perfectly clear. I'm you coelacanth use that. <laughs> hey. Nice. Awesome point. Uh, Should we just end the segment there? I feel like done. it's all downhill. Yeah, definitely <laughs> is. From the coelacanth. Uh, all right, so we'll, we'll start out easy. The first element um, based uh, is of course taken from a movie we watched recently, Emperor of the North Pole, uh, or Emperor of the North. Uh, a train. Uh, that's a pretty good Western element. I mean, yeah. That's pretty on the nose. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think uh, we can do that. Yeah. So then the second element will all will be an animal, uh, but it will be a meerkat. A meerkat. All yeah. right. All right. Because maybe even a rad meerkat. I'm not sure. All right. It's possible. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, and then the third one uh, will be a character. I I haven't named her, but I'm going to say a suffragette who knows jujitsu. Oh, 
All right. Yeah. Okay. That's what you went for. I, I'm down with that. That's historically a thing that happened. I know. I I, I know. British uh, suffered. Oh, a British suffragette, by the way, who knows jujitsu. Oh. That was a thing that happens. By the way, I don't. We'll we'll explore this history. <laughs> this history you don't know time. about suffragettes and this. Not United the British Kingdom. ones who knew jujitsu. They no. did and used it on the police. All right. Here's the thing, Spencer. I'm very worried about this. I have ideas already. Okay. Extremely worried that will never be author is uh, just going to become uh, Spencer and Caleb prove how little they know about Australia and the surrounding climes. Let's do it because uh, because I mean I'm I'm back there. That's where the, well the meerkat I yeah, think set the up, meerkat set us really sort of sticks it in. It's there. more likely that a train and a British suffragette made their way to Australia than a meerkat made its way out of Australia. Exactly. So right? I'm with you on this. Uh, so here's the thing. Uh, it's talking about westerns. We got to talk about our antecedents. Yep. One of my favorite westerns, I feel like it doesn't get nearly enough love. Uh, also, meerkats live in Africa, not Australia. Oh, well, never mind. <laughs> well, well, we're all in a... Uh, then more, very unlikely they've yes, made it to Australia. Very unlikely there. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well. Woo. Wow. Well, we did just kind of achieve the point of the segment. That's right. By proving how little we know definitely, about Australia. Definitely <laughs> still in Australia. <laughs> yeah. Definitely didn't know that. But cool. Yeah. It uh, no, now. it needs to be in Africa Southern now. Africa. It needs to be way. in Africa now. All right. I get that. Um... Okay, okay, okay. Uh, so not Unless they're imported. I mean, they... Not necessarily. So what I've learned from the movie I was going to mention anyway, mm-hmm. Quickly Down Under, mm-hmm. a Western does not need to be set in the American West. Right. It needs to be set on a frontier mm-hmm. of some sort. That's right. All right. Um, so we need a... What is it called? Barasu, Baritsu? What was Bar- the... Oh, Baritsu, yeah. Baritsu, yeah. The, yeah. the suffragette jiu-jitsu. Uh, so we need that. We need it to take place in Southern Africa... All right, and we need it to include a train. All right, all right. Hmm. I'll set the scene for you. All right, so I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring the curtain up, and then I'm gonna hand it off to you, and you run with the ball. Yeah, and then I'm gonna take the ball back. All right, ready? All right. So it's three a.m. A cold dew rests on the plants of the wildlands, and as the sun rises just over the crest of the eastern. Mountains? Do we think that's in Southern Africa? There's Africa? probably some of them. Yep. Yeah. Um, a train passes along a river carrying meerkats. <laughs> what? Hand it off the ball, Caleb. <laughs> oh, so this is sort of a sabotage kind of no, thing. No, no. Right. <laughs> you now you need to talk about why there's a train full of meerkats. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> you would need a trade full of beer. Uh, they're go- they're they're heading to a port for uh, export. They're going to be sent to zoos. All right, all right, okay. See, all right, Caleb? all right. So there's that. So um, you in a western, you need a frontier. Right. It needs to be dying. Okay. It can't be a vibrant frontier. Okay. The the western is about the fading of the west. Yep. The fading of a frontier. So um, you have a British suffragette. Mm-hmm. So you've got a woman right. that has left. Britain mm-hmm. after the hard fight for suffrage. Is she is uh, she angry or has she given up or is she she's, celebrating? She's become disillusioned. Got it. Uh, and she has not won the fight for suffrage mm-hmm. uh, because uh, you know her her sisters have been battered by police protests right. and she she's lost loved ones and and she she was a revolutionary that for the cause so much like the the lost cause thing but without the terrible racism mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. south mm-hmm. uh so you've got this woman and this progressive soldier that sort of lost the cause cuz suffragette hasn't gone she goes 
uh, to South Africa, uh, colonial sort of uh, right. expansion in that regard. And she is uh, becomes part of a community that is altogether more egalitarian mm-hmm. uh, because her power as a colonialist gives her this power as a woman that she is. And gives it to the other women, despite it being a patriarchal tribal society, and they sort of support her, and they have the kind of stuff. Now, it is sort of white savory, so I'm not crazy about that, mm-hmm. but I would like it to be this woman's daughter mm-hmm. of mixed race. There we go. We save that. And so she has taught, she has learned from her angry, embittered, suffragette mother, mm-hmm. who was there after losing the war, mm-hmm. despite the fact that the, the, the secret art of Beritsu. So, um, as colonialism ramps up further and they start stealing the native meerkats mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, of the area, uh, she sort of says no more. Her right. mother, uh, her dying revolutionary spirit, was uh, the only thing her daughter truly admired in mm-hmm. her, as opposed to her brutal Beritsu lessons every day. Um, and she says no more. Right. I, I shall follow my mother's too and stand up for what I believe in. And so it's a Western, but it also, like like most Westerns, can be sort of conflated with a kung fu film because she uses her skills right. of suffragette jiu-jitsu to just trounce the shit out of some Boer War motherfuckers. Just, just take some mutton-chopping British dudes and just cut them right the hell up to save the meerkats initially. Right. But it, it, it becomes a, a more serious problem of, you know, cattle barons or meerkat barons in That's this right. space challenging the sort of community it becomes a human issue the meerkat she, she takes the stance on this initial thing and that's why she's called the meerkat amongst her uh you know the people she saves so she the meerkat becomes symbolic of her struggle against these sort of colonial powers uh seeking to destroy the rich cultural heritage that her mother and her father made as a separate piece from this sort of corrupt empirical society. A scene. <laughs> <laughs> I'm deeply moved by the whole I thing. would watch the shit out of that. I would, I Have would you watch. ever seen a Baritsu mount, like, manual? Like, for the... Like, they did some fucking crazy-ass shit. Like, joint locks while you pull a razor blade you hit in mm-hmm. your hair? Like, they were... I would watch the hell out of that. That would be a brutal film. All right, let's cast it. So, mm. so who plays the meerkat? Ooh, that's really good. Uh, Daisy Riddler. Daisy Riddler. The, uh, Daisy Ridley. Yeah, Ridley. Sorry, yeah. Um, that might not. She'd have the martial arts job. She would. That might not mix with Caleb's. Oh um, yeah, yeah. That's um, right. That's the right. ethnic underpinnings. That's that play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't right. want that. Right. Mm. Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. that. All right. Sorry. Um, uh, racial underpinnings. I should say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Lenny Kravitz's daughter, who's in Mad Max and fucking kills it. Um, Fury Road? Yes. Uh, who is she? Uh, was she one of the brides? Or? Yes. Zoe Saldana. Oop, Zoe Saldana. Oh, Good yeah. call. No, she, she can do action with Colombiana. Yeah. She now you just got to put her in a fucking hoop skirt and yeah. have her whipping dudes in the face. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, yeah, that's my pick, that. Zoe Saldana. Uh, Who's the bad guy? I was going to no, say. I know, Hugo Weaving. <laughs> who do you who do you want to be the bad guy in that film? Uh, you desperately wanted to be Hugo. Uh, can I add with mutton chops? Can I argue for <laughs> okay. a slightly different take here? Because Christoph Waltz came to mind, mm-hmm. but actually uh, with the appropriate accent. And remember, the bad guy needs to be a little off kilter here because they are, after all, exporting copious amounts of meerkats. Mm-hmm. Michael Shannon. 
Mm. I mean, just this side. Can you do the thing, accent though? Uh, well, I think that might even be better. Like Michael Shannon with a. Oh, uh, he's the hired gun brought yes. in. Yes. Brought yeah. in to oh. take her down. Oh, he's an actual cowboy. Yeah. <gasps> brought There's in, the Western. Brought in Quigley Down Under style. By Hugo But Weaving. he doesn't have Quigley's morals, and he does the sort of horrible empirical mm-hmm. nonsense yep. that he's hired. Oh, man, that'd be good. So Michael Shannon's. The sort of uh, oh, he's got to have the a fixer, sort of the bad guy in Shane right. kind of thing, yeah. the outlaw. Yeah, no, no, no. he's 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 got to be called the Rattler or something like yeah. that. Ooh. Because then it's meerkat. It's a mongoose versus a snake. yeah, yeah. from, from yeah. a from a gun culture. But Zoe Saldana just fights with like that's right her her fists and her claws. That's like, right. Oh man, that'd be good. I'd yeah. watch the shit out of that. It's man. all on a train. What is it titled? Is it just the meerkat with a titular line? I feel like that's too easy. Yeah, it feels too easy. Mm. Uh, I think we put it up to a vote. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Hit us in the contents. That's What's right. What's the title? That's right. We're now looking for... Of our brilliant African Western. The title of possibly, and I don't know, I haven't done the research on this, possibly the single Serengeti greatest work Western. of fiction. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> what? Serengeti, Serengeti Western. Western? No. Nose. But I All like right. the genre name quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, you never want to name yourself your genre. Right. No, no, no. Uh, no but I think genre the genre mashup. is good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we're looking for titles. Best title wins something TBD. Let's do it that way. <laughs> uh, a hug. <laughs> a digital Maybe. kiss. Maybe. Digital kisses. Yeah, definitely digital kisses. All right. Okay, <laughs> thanks. Bye. <laughs> drinking so from abita brewing um we've had their purple haze before it's surprising to me that we've never had their turbo dog Mm. i also as i like scour my brain i'm not positive that i've had turbo dog maybe i have but i I know i've not right anyways here we are i'm drinking it's a good name and it's a neat label i mean regardless of drinking turbo dog i would have imagined all sorts of adventures about a character named turbo exactly that would have stuck with me longer than the beer so i would have known if i drank it Whoa. Um, no, that's just how my brain works. If yeah. you have a good name where I can be like, send Turbo Dog on adventures in my head <laughs> while doing other things, I'll, I'll remember it better. So Turbo yeah, Dog exactly. is a brown ale, and my best guess is that at its best, this beer's a three for me, but it's probably been sitting a bit, so it tastes two-ish, but I'm thinking that's a time problem. I think we got this from Bill. Uh, oh, that would have been a hot minute. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking this is probably a three generally mm-hmm. for me. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to hedge that a bet. That is sort of the place where browns yeah, sit. Yeah, typically for at me. At a three. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. are, uh, they're in there with blondes and, and other things. It's distinctly pilsners. Yeah. Distinctly threes. That's where yeah. you live. They're not bad. It's, no. good, to have, it's yeah. good to have one. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. Um, hey, we're talking about Armchair Director, our film segment. It was also your number two vote getter. Number two vote getter. In this week's uh, subtopic segment vote. Um, and we're talking about Filmstruck, or maybe more generally, Caleb, the the aspirational streaming service. So finding, yes. making sense of, using, and why don't they work. The, hey, watch niche films and stuff you can't find on Netflix here. Yeah, Hulu, um, I understand why they got rid of all the criteria and stuff uh, from a market standpoint. But like that was a huge hit for me. Because uh, I'm I'm using that to sort of catch up on film history, and there is sort of a problem in general with trying to educate yourself about the history of film. In that, it is quite difficult to get some of the films that are considered sort of seminal 
from a country, from a genre, from a numerous basis because they don't exist in any sort of DVD format you can buy, or at least a DVD format you can buy for less than like thirty or forty dollars on a Criterion Special Collection. Um, now, I'm not saying those films don't deserve that much money, but like when I want to educate myself about philosophy, I can do that for free. I can do that with a library card. Mm-hmm. I can't do that for movies for the most part. Um, when I want to do it about literature, again, largely for free, but film is in this weird space where like everything is still kind of got owned IP um, and everything is very hard to get. And so you sort of have this stuff like Filmstruck, which is great. So $100 gets you a whole year. It gets you the full Criterion collection. It gets you a ton of stuff. They have rotating lecture series about films and stuff I'm really excited to watch. But there are problems with that service that, again, put up hurdles that I wish weren't there. Mm-hmm. So, um, But before I get into like the particulars of Filmstruck, have you had any engagement with this? Our producer, Ross, have you had any engagement with this? Like sort of struggling to find... Movies that are sort mm-hmm. of classics sure. and find them in any way that are like watchable. Uh, yeah, no, this is something I've uh, looked into a bit myself, uh, and I've had some luck uh, because of the vagaries of international copyright law. Some movies are public domain in some countries and not other, and not mm. in the U.S. per mm-hmm. se. So uh, websites that operate internationally can't host them. For example, a lot of Kurosawa's early works like Rashomon are public domain in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can download uh, and or stream Rashomon uh, through archive.org and some other websites uh, through Roger Gutenberg um, or not Gutenberg, but yeah. But again, uh, that's not freely advertised. No, it's not free. You have to search, like yeah, you have, right. Right. and you have to know that you need to watch Rashomon, which right. is yeah, right. that's a sort of a barrier to entry when you just have a name, yeah, yeah. that you've heard people mention, yeah. Yeah, uh, that that like the sort of finding it. The there is there is a bit of a hunt. Like, yeah, it's it's definitely a, a problem that you bring up with movies that does not exist with literature, uh, even and music. And uh, yeah, um, I have to be honest. Two two things run into two two truisms run into each other here for me, which means that I am not. This is not something I do. Yeah. So so like one is like casual consumer of popular culture and not like casual in frequency. Obviously I consume a fuck ton of maybe passive consumer is a better way of thinking. Well, passive consumer of popular culture. Yeah, Here's why I wanted to tag you in on this. Right. Like, is there any aspiration to do this that barriers have stopped you or is it just not there? Cause that, I think that's where the obstacle comes from is like, it's just not there for enough people yeah. to make the barriers to entry smaller. Does I, that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes complete sense. Um, l- let me come at this by way of how I would use a service like this, and and I think the net effect here is like, no, I have no interest in this. But yeah. So, if you told me that there was a service available, um, and I could choose to watch things that I probably own on Blu-ray or tucked away on DVD somewhere, but there it is streaming, um, and it's stuff that I was already familiar with, so like I could just go on and be like Ghostbusters, Big Trouble in Little China, Beetlejuice, um, things that are classic to me, but probably not typically considered classics. Uh, yeah, I'd probably be in for that. And by and large, like Netflix will do that. That stuff will cycle through or what or whatnot. Yeah. Or TBS. I don't have to get up and put it in. Right. Something. Right. Exactly. Um, 
I just don't think that I have the drive to sit around and scroll through classics that I should see or haven't seen or don't really want to see, but now they're in front of me so I could see them. No, I don't think I have that aspirational search function in me. Um, And I might at some point... Um, I, I kind of have a curious relationship with watching new films in the first place, which is like, it takes a lot of fake energy for me to do it. I don't know why. And usually after I've done it, I'm really excited that I watched a movie. Even if it sucked, I liked that I watched the movie. But man, I don't think I'm going to sit and, and scroll through something to go find classics to watch. No. See, like, and that's the thing, though, because I think there's a middle ground and I think I'm it. And there's an area of people who, when exposed to things with like a limited barrier of entry... We'll go all in in it, and like I don't think film history in general does that, and especially a service like Filmstruck, having had it for two years now. Right. So, uh, for instance, I'm the type of guy who will like say, "Be what's an RPG?" And seven years later, we'll be putting out his <laughs> fourth game design and Kickstarter. Like, like if I'm if if you give me a handhold to start with, I can just be really obsessive about something. Uh, I'll go from like, hey, I'm going to start casually drinking more and not drink hard alcohol to be like, we're nearing our 300th beer. Mm-hmm, like, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm that sort of person. But um, Filmstruck has sort of these issues that are fundamental. Like, so for instance, they're not on any console streaming service, which oh, is what nope. I use. Yep. So they're on uh, Apple TV and stuff like that. But I got to buy something. I have to, at this point, I have to have my Filmstruck subscription and I either have to plug my iPad into it and change the settings so it doesn't go to sleep and then I can't adjust the volume and then I gotta stand up and walk across the room to pause it and then I have to do that to do all the menu entry which is a pain or I gotta buy new hardware to stream it or stuff like that that. after buying a $100 subscription and I have this film subscription and I probably watched like 10-15 movies on it max in two years because it makes it quite difficult. Now, when I originally got it, they said we're going to go on PS4 soon, but that was like years ago. Mm. Don't think it's going to happen. Mm. So there's that. The other thing is that I'll, I'll make this sort of like to watch this, and this is like where it really gets into aspirational consumption. Like I'm going to go to the bookstore even though yep. I already have books. Like I'm going to make this huge-ass streaming list to watch and sort of hack through it. And then I'll go back to that streaming list yep. to look for something, and it'll be gone. So, like, oh. it's the Netflix problem times a million. Ugh. Filmstruck will have shit for, like, three weeks. And Ugh. then I'm like, at what point are you still a streaming service? The right. point of a streaming service is maximum preservation. The point is not, like, be that, there no, you miss not, it. The streaming services, their, their point is convenience. I mean, like, and which it's lost on already. And then yeah. it becomes, I can go watch it whenever I want. Yeah. For the most part, or at least it'll be there for a year or a series of months. But like they're doing like Man. these limited film runs yeah. of like, oh, we're going to do the films of Ozo for 2 weeks and then they're all off the site and you can't download them. And your your watch list will just be boop gone. Like and I'm just like, "Man, I don't don't like that." Like so they're doing um uh, Jules Dassin now, the guy who did uh, Wages of Fear and he did mm-hmm. Naked City. Tons of shit I love. If you've never seen it before, watch it. It's intensely entertaining noir. Super well lit. Very yeah. interesting. And it's going to be on there for like two weeks. So it'll be erased from the site around the time school ends and I actually have time to watch things again. See, that's the bit for me. It's like, I'm just like, son of a bitch, I'm trying as hard as I can with what I currently have. Like, now maybe I go buy a projector. Maybe I, like, set up a home theater. Maybe I start doing movie theaters for my friend. Maybe I get all obsessively in on something like I have before, 
but there is a gap between where I'm at now and that investing to get over those hurdles permanently. And I'm not there currently. And so I'm like, I'm thinking about canceling it. And at the same time, I'm like, I don't want to be the guy who's just like, well, what's streaming on Netflix, even though I am that guy right now? Well, yeah, because it's there when you want it to be there. I mean, and yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's convenient. But it's aspirational. Like, I right. am clearly that guy. Right. I don't want to be. Yeah. Quitting, it feels like wanting to be. But I'm like, is Filmstrick like a fucking gym membership now? Mm-hmm. Am I saying I'm going to go start working out tomorrow? Like, and, and, and that's the sort of thing with, like, film. Like, yeah, I could go on a pirate bay to try and find some, like... Uzbekistani translation of this Italian film that I can then autocorrect into English. But I'm like, man, maybe I could go do anything else. The nature of a streaming service is not to be appointment television. Yeah, you know what I mean? Exactly. Like that, that's why I, I can put The Office on whenever I want to. And like, that's why I pay $9 or whatever I pay a month to Netflix. And, and, I, will to do say, that. and I will say it's fundamentally I different in now. regards. Sure. I will say it's fundamentally different in regards of like, it's not films meant to be ignored. Right. It's not background television. Like, you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. And so, so there is that regard. But at the same time, there are, there are these sort of limitations of like, yeah. how can I watch it? Like, right. how long do I have to watch it? Like, where I can't, as an adult, yeah. like, make these sort of points. So, like, one of the things I think producer Ross and I are going to do this summer is we're going to, we have our movie nights and we watch just terror, just trash, just some of the most offensive <laughs> nonsense on earth with our friends and l- listen to a cackle. But he does sort of, sort of, sort of had, I mean, he said he has a, I've never seen it. He said he's had a passing influence in like interesting film and he can't talk about it intelligently. Yeah. We give it a choice. We always watch Rift Tracks nonsense. Yeah. But like, we're going to try and have like a serious movie night where we like watch a movie that's not supposed to be awful and mm-hmm. funny because it's awful mm-hmm. and so i'm gonna try that but it's still gonna involve me like getting up to stop my ipad and rewind things if i want to read some scene or DVDs, so yeah. yeah so like yeah but that kind of thing so um I'm, I'm gonna try it again but like i worry about these because filmstruck is it and like other people are trying to get in on it and yeah. i'm just like is there a market there if you don't market it equivalent to other things I can stream. Right. Like, you have to, like, make it at least an alternative to the popular culture, not a um, self-destruction compared to the popular culture. Yeah. Like, don't don't put my it time in time and interest and all that kind of Same paradigm. Stuff. Yeah. Because for me, I mean, I, I understand your point that these are not movies to be ignored, right? They're not background fodder. But, yeah. But if I'm paying you a monthly fee... I kind of want to get to make the decision on when and how I engage with those things. And giving me a 10-day window strips that, strips me of my right to do that in some way. Yes. My, my, not my right, my ability to do that. Mm-hmm. That violates the whole premise of this thing for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, so no, I, I, I think it's interesting. I'm glad that, that someone's doing it. Obviously, it sounds like they're not doing it maybe the best way. Not well. No. I, know, I, know, I know people like you and other people who, who look for services like these, so I think it's good that it's happening. It's just not, not something I'm into. And maybe it will be, but no. No, this doesn't even... I look at that and I'm like, ooh, that's, that's 10 bucks. Yeah, this, is, this isn't Normcore Spencer right. no, territory. Not at all. Absolutely this is not. not for a man who's yet to discover YouTube. Right, no. Because uh, as I understand it, there are videos on the internet that you can They're watch. free, right. even. That's crazy. You can just click play. That's crazy. <laughs> um, uh, we got one segment left. We got one beer. We're going to grab both and we'll be right back.
last beer of the day is... I don't make good choices. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I think if there's a theme on my end of this podcast, it might be that. Radical Aww. mistake. So this is from Bell's Brewing. It's an expedition stout. It's 10.5. It's not a good beer to end a podcast with. I'll we'll tell see, you we'll that see. much. We'll see. Going to have to lay on Ross's floor for a bit. <laughs> there's a couch. After we record. Don't. The floor is cooler <laughs> on my cheeks. Oh, my God. Uh, and so uh, I'm going to drink it, even though it's 10.5, because I love you, the fans. Right. It's really a, a, a suffering we've, for you. We've had an overwhelming amount of success, it feels like. I don't like remember where Bell's that came beers. from, either. I don't know who brought that beer. I think that might have been a beer. And that's sort of the way where we're at now, isn't it? Yeah. Like, we just drink beers that we find swirled yeah. about our home. That's a good place to be. Um, <laughs> that is... Yeah. That's a lightsaber. That's what you expect of a Russian Imperial mm. stout in that it is a stout and it has the deep flavor of a stout, but it also went way too hard in the ABV and it has a distinct, mm. m- like, disinfecting wound... Uh, aftertaste on it, yeah. I also don't care for the texture all that much. So it's not like a Thelonious Monk. It's not an no. old Rasputin. Yeah. It's like your your bog standard yeah. Russian Imperial. That's got some ashtray quality. On yeah, I mean, it's there. a Russian yeah. Imperial, yeah. yeah. I don't care for that. But that can go better as fours and fives, and this is just your standard three. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. If you don't like Russian Imperials, it's a hard one, which is yes. how Russian Imperials work. Right. Because um, it's going to be way too in your face. An acquired taste. Yes, definitely. Uh, a middling Russian Imperial is a four, and a average Russian Imperial for someone who doesn't like Russian Imperials is a zero. Uh, so, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's an offense. Yes. Um, hey, we're in a drunk enough, uh, and this time, um, so I was thinking a lot about, well, um, really spawned by two things. So a number of people added me today that Batman the Animated Series is getting a board game, and it will be at Gen Con. And that means that I will be finding the Batman the Animated Series board game at Gen Con, and that's all I'm doing. Raise your hand if you've started saving up to blow money at Gen Con yet. Right. Yes. My hand's the only one up, but well, uh, right. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I have all of all of the. I'm just going to buy eleven. I'll have eleven Batman the Animated Series games. We we may have made an entire budget at my house to just blow on board games yeah. come August. So, uh, and it got me thinking about Batman the Animated Series, uh, and that's timely because the other evening, um, Brandy was gone for a week. She was in San Diego getting some awards from the Boys and Girls Club because she's incredible, and that's what she does. Like super incredible, super incredible. And uh, so I was at home looking for stuff to watch and i'm pretty sure on amazon uh they had the batman beyond um return of the joker uh, Mm -hmm. like the hour and 10 minute film and i watched it i'm sure i'd seen it but i didn't remember it and i fucking loved it because of course i did because batman beyond is often forgotten about as like a really quality cartoon quality really like a follow-up to batman the animated series was going to be hard anyway you sliced it because it's perfect and Batman Beyond gets real damn close. It was an American anime. It was as adult. Totally. Anim- it's as adult as animation could get yeah. at that time in animation history. Like, really pushed the envelope yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, and, and so the last couple of days then have been kind of like me musing on the importance of Batman the Animated Series for me, capped by this thing at Gen Con today. And so it's very topical, a vortex of, 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 of topics. Um, and it got me thinking... Batman the Animated Series was, like, very formative for me. It's what I did when I got home from school. Um, I, read, I read the novels associated with it, Mask of the Phantasm and, Phantasm and all that stuff. I got really into Batman the Animated Series. Um, and then I started thinking, is that the most formative piece of media 
from my from my childhood. Mm. The, is that the thing that if I pulled out, mm. I think would have the most significant effect on how I am now? And I'm not sure that it is, but I know that it's in the conversation. And so I wanted to explore that topic today. We spend a lot of time talking about uh, books and television and movies and video games and music. But what's the thing that you think if you were to pull it out of your history and live in a slightly different Fringe-esque timeline, if you, if you pulled that piece of media out, it would have the most significant impact on your person? And we can pick one piece? One piece of media. Damn. Yeah. Assume that a lot of them would have... By one piece of media, do you mean like an entire TV show or one episode? Uh, t- TV show is fine. TV show is fine. Yeah. All yeah. right. But so, it, I, I actually asked this question. Okay. Like, so like, are we talking about now... Like, in which case I was going to be like, well, podcasts as a genre. Right. Because, like, not genres. That's what I sustain myself on. It's <laughs> right. what I model a lot of things I do on. Um, but, like, no, it, he meant one piece yeah. and then specifically from childhood. So yeah. um, I, it's probably not going to be surprising for some. It's definitely not going to be surprising for all. Sorry. Um, uh, mine would probably be the work of Garth Ennis, specifically oh. Preacher. Oh. That actually is. I just thought you were going to say the Communist Manifesto. I was like, well, obviously. Yeah. Okay. Like, I wouldn't call that popular culture. Populists, perhaps. Probably was in your your household, Uh, I would think. Yeah. uh, No. No? No. The the only uh, Marxist in my household. Thank you very much. I figured Papa Stokes with his background. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Really, the Garth Ennis stuff. Why? So, specifically, Preacher. So, here's the thing Um, there's so much I get. From that, that I didn't think was possible. Yeah, and so I'm I'm not saying like Garth Ennis is the be all end all of comic creators or artists or anything that strident. All right, mm-hmm. I get that it's like ridiculously sophomoric, but you know I follow Garth Ennis stuff like other people follow Grant Morrison stuff. Animal Man blew your head up, and so you're in with whatever fucking drug trip Grant Morrison fucking wrote that's goddamn nonsense that's unreadable tripe. Um, like, whatever shit he's doing for DC where Batman's a caveman or some shit like that. Like, I understand <laughs> that when it's formative, you follow along like that. Right. So, like, there's a lot of stuff that Garth Ennis did. That's that. Uh, but Preacher, for me, as an Irishman writing about America, it sort of distilled the parts of Americana that were appealing mm-hmm. that I never got. Because I lived in, like, podunk, like, terrible, let's listen to Nelly while screaming racial slurs out of our truck and never acknowledge the irony of it. Like, I lived in that place. So, like, America for me as a child was just, like, this stain I had to try and wash off. And I never got, like, the positive aspects of it until I saw it through, like, the sort of lens of a, of a foreigner, like, this sort of John Wayne individualism, this sort of, like, prophetic when you're 14, like, uh, philosophy and stuff like that. Um, it's sort of mashed high art and low art just frenetically, mm-hmm. like, gleefully profane um, with, like, these utterly stupid dick and butt jokes next to like these theological conversations of dumb shit while also making like an entertaining comic with like bloods and guts and stuff right. like that and it's sort of this postmodern fuck it mm-hmm. that like 
I mean, if anything, I've probably lived my whole life based off of in terms of like everything I've created. It's pretty much a postmodern fuck it. That's that's only when my art became successful. And I was like, yeah, it's a role playing game. Fuck it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care that nobody would read it in my workshop anymore. I used to. And that's when I wrote one short story a semester and called it profound. Mm-hmm. Like, like, so fuck it. Like, mm-hmm. that. that's where I get it. And then lastly, like, um, I was very clearly an agnostic for the majority of my life mm-hmm. in that I had questions about faith right. that I couldn't answer with just faith screamed louder at me. Right. But I never wanted to say anything bad about people who did because I didn't want to be, you know, that controversial. I didn't want to offend them. I wanted to give them the respect they would give me and my beliefs. So I said I didn't know what it was and that was kind of stuff. And that's a that's an attitude that bit me in the ass way hard later in life. Um, and the thing is, what I never got about it and like what spoke to me about preaching, I've reread Preacher like five times, mm-hmm. which is not, and I'm talking like volume one to the end and everything. Whatever got it was like, look, these questions you have aren't something that you can just shrug away mm-hmm. or like you can shrug them away or you can make up your own answers for them. Right. But it's also, and like this is the hottest take I'd ever seen, especially in fucking high school as the only kid who read comics. Yeah in a class of 500 people right. was that you have a right to be pissed off about these questions. Like the fact that you're answering this, right. but you're still suspected to sort of like give some sort of a sequence and like honor to mm-hmm. the people that force you to ask these questions. That is a, that's not a, that's not a shrugging situation. That's a fuck you right. situation. And like, that sort of misodeism as yeah. a concept that, like, an opinion a human being could have, yeah. regardless of whether you hold it or not, like, really drove me forward. So I know it's kind of absurd. It's very much Chuck Palahniuk, like, I learned who I was with Fight Club yeah. and bullshit. But, but it's like, not Chuck Palahniuk, which is important. It's not. And I and I did evolve beyond. Like, right. I read Preacher, and then I get really into Andrew Wyeth paintings. Right. and. Uh, you know, I learned who Bill Hicks was, and mm-hmm. I watched a bunch of old Ford westerns. I'm like, it expanded a world of mature art for me, sure. F- and it, it gave me a sort of bridge from this sort of comic book art that I'd had since I was four. Yeah, and I and I think I needed that. I don't think I would have had that stepping zone otherwise. I think I'd be like the sort of nerd that's just like Star Wars is the be all end all. Let's stop there. There's a light side and a dark side. Yeah. Let's never complicate things without like preacher because like i remember the first time i read it when cassidy betrays jesse and then they have the fight at the end of like true hatred as true hatred as only best friends can feel and like i hated it like mm-hmm. for years i was so pissed I was like preacher was trash they really didn't stick the landing like they just ran out of ideas and now i'm just like that's the smartest choice you could have made there that's why it's like a classic in comic books and it's not the boys or whatever mm-hmm. dick joke garth ennis is putting out nowadays like yeah so like i think it's a bridge for me i think without that bridge sure. i'm a diff i'm on a different path that's yeah that's the right way of thinking about it that's what i was looking for um my first inclination was to say video games because i spent a lot of time with video games well you can't up. just pick a video game yeah. right. that's not the rules you gave yeah. me right. so. so i was so i was going to pick like uh, super mario world uh for the snes or even tony hawk's pro skater like those were um 
A, it was just a lot of time. And so in some ways, just, just by the value of where I spent hours. <laughs> sheer, sheer, a more scientific yeah, analysis. those things just sheer mass. win. I mean, I yeah. probably have, and I'm conservative estimate, seven to eight million hours in Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3. You know what I mean? Um, What'd you listen to? What was your uh, favorite song off the first soundtrack? Well, so what I did actually is I would listen to Tony Hawk, and I, w- I would play Tony Hawk, and then I actually burned a Tony Hawk CD to listen to. While I was playing Tony Hawk. You could change it in the menu, man. I know, but I just got very tired of the same Tony Hawk songs because I listened to them all the time. And so I would listen to uh, 99 Left Balloons and Tenacious D a lot while I was playing Tony Hawk. I guess that's acceptable. Yeah. Um, I was a Sergeant Baker man myself. None of those things really uh, really made it. And so so I've talked a lot about um, Ghostbusters. And today I'm going to talk about why, not just why I love Ghostbusters, but why Ghostbusters was formative, which is probably the most robust explanation of anything I've ever given regarding Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters was my pick. Yeah. But, like, I was not going to pick it because I can't imagine a world in which I deviated off of Ghostbusters. Right. Like, part of me believes that I would have found Ghostbusters were it not presented to me as the Holy Grail, which my father, as a good man, did. That's right. As a good father and husband, he did present Ghostbusters to me as the pinnacle of cultural achievement. Right. And good for him. Uh, But I can't picture a world without it. Whereas I I could see that sort of crossroads at Preacher. What's that crossroads for you without Ghostbusters? Um, fraught with meaning maybe that's a good question um uh probably the great gatsby okay uh Wait, that's the alternative to Ghostbusters? No, I'm just thinking, is is there something else that I can look at? And I say, if I assume I was going to find Ghostbusters, what's the next thing for me that sends me on a path, right? That, well, what that are you going to say about Ghostbusters? Because your interpretation being different doesn't mean right. mine is superior. Just right. Thought, yeah, I just uh, yeah, so Ghostbusters. Okay, uh, a couple of things. Um, one, uh, Ghostbusters was... What, the first time I saw Ghostbusters, the the wit and humor was ostensibly far beyond that. Yeah, it, that it's entirely lost upon you. Right. Yeah. But that does it's Talmudic. Yes. You have to restudy it as you get older. But yeah. but the older you get at no point at least for me did did the Ghostbusters humor um fall off the bandwagon. So even when I went through phases where I thought like dodgeball and old school were hysterical, Ghostbusters was still only getting funnier in the background. Mm-hmm. Um and so for me one of the ways in which Ghostbusters was formative is Ghostbusters gave me a lot of different ways to look at what I think peak humor is. And I think slapstick can be funny. Um, I think that like stand up can be, I, you know, I think that dry can be funny. I think that um, o- over the top can be funny. I think that uh, clown comedic o- overly top uh, Jim Carrey can be funny. Sure. Uh, Jim Carrey is funny sometimes. But Ghostbusters Rick Moranis showed, in the in the Ghostbusters corollary. That's yeah. right. Yes. But Ghostbusters showed me, at least from my perspective, that the funniest thing is a wry observation about the thing which is happening at the moment. Mm-hmm. And the Peter Venkman wit is like, that's it. That's peak comedy for me. Yeah. Um, and the Peter Venkman wit is exacerbated, illustrated, articulated by 
the Surrounding interplay. Surrounding yourself by earnest people. That's right. Uh, that's right. Of uh, Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis. Are the deeply analytical. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. And, and and then the everyman, right? Yeah. The, the Winston Zedmore. Yeah. Um, the, the Peter Venkman wit plays so well. And so partially it was so formative for me because it is the thing that I took comic cues from. Um, interacting with people, being sarcastic, being a little bit dry, but never being malicious, which I think is really important about Peter Venkman Witt. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, he's making fun of Egon Spengler and Raymond Stance, but it's never out of malice. It's always out of love. Um, and so there's this real like humanity to all of it. And that's maybe even clear in Ghostbusters 2. And typically I don't talk about how Ghostbusters 2 is worth watching. I do think it's a great sequel for what it's worth. Um, but they have such great moments as people acting like a family that are underscored by Peter Venkman kind of being a dry asshole. But he's not being an asshole. He's just being dry and real. It teaches you comedic balance. That's right. That's right. So so it's, it's formative in that way. The other way in which it's formative, and I've thought a lot about this. Like, why the fuck did I go to grad school outside of just convenience? It was there, and I literally had no other plan. Um, Ghostbusters, I think, was... It's definitely my reason. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, what, I, I'm kind of yeah. confused other people had. Yeah, you're the weird one. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the primary reason, I think. But I was always... I was always interested in academic endeavors, even though um, a couple of semesters of college would tell you otherwise. I was at least, <laughs> I was at least always interested in, in learning more stuff in, in being in being curious. Yeah, and um, Ghostbusters is, I think, the first film that I watched, and and to this day remains one of the few films that celebrates the practical value of the search for knowledge. Like yeah. those are smart people who are still relatable, extraordinarily smart people, who are still interestingly relatable, who believe in the value of studying things and learning stuff. And yeah, they turn it into proton packs so they can, you know, they can catch ghosts. But they're doing it because they believe that it serves a greater purpose. And something about the way in which it just approached the idea of knowledge was always very meaningful to me. Like I liked that perspective on no it's good to be it's good to want to be smart yeah um smart people do good things and mm-hmm. you know especially Though as are we, seldom appreciated for it that's exactly right. such a time as they are needed that's exactly right yeah. and, and and especially you know so i i'm born in 86 but you know i really grow up and interact with media in a meaningful way starting in the early 90s mm-hmm. you know we get into the 90s and smart kids are just nerds you know what i mean like we have lost our cultural approval of smart in the same way you know cuz in the 80s like the nerd could still end up being the hero at the end of all things in the 90s we were pretty sure the hero was freddie prince jr well, the nerd was invisible that's right yeah and so the nerd was not winning the day yeah. you know the nerd was comedic relief and so ghostbusters stood alone uh, for a, uh, as compared to a lot of the media I was watching, where it was no, 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 you, th- there's you want to go be like this, you know what I mean? So, and, and not that I feel like ostracized or marginalized because like I was a little bit nerdy and because I liked weird stuff like debate and all that crap. No, oh, I never, we won, right? To be I ne- clear, I never felt Amongst that the way. culture word nerd wins. Yeah, I never, I never felt like I was losing or I was, I was in a, a bad way because of that stuff. So it's not like. Not like Ghostbusters made me feel okay about it, yeah. and I didn't otherwise feel okay about it. It was just like it remind. It was nice to see a cool appropriation of the whole thing, frankly, because I was just not getting that in much of the media that I was looking at yeah. uh, in, in a formative period for me. And so, both in the way that it, it it kind of helped me understand what I perceive of as the premier type of comedy, which is my mode of interaction with humans now. I mean, being dry, yeah. you know, or 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 making puns, mm-hmm. um, and. 
because it made me appreciate a thing that I then dedicated the bulk of what has now been 32 years to. Uh, in kind of an interesting way, I can't understand my life without that text. Yeah. Ross? Um, interesting. I, 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 I'm, well, I'll give two, the two runner, runners up, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Uh, one would be Monty Python the Holy Grail, because yeah. I can still mm. to this day remember how hard I was laughing just at the intro titles. Yes. Uh, and so that was like, you know. I was, that's formative for me, but I yeah. was perpl- when my dad showed it to me, I, I got the sensation that he was letting me in on something. Yes. Yeah. And, and I wasn't, I wasn't quite spo- sure. I wasn't supposed to be on it, so like. But I didn't get most of it until later. Oh, I loved I like I I like just they're talking about the my sister was bitten by moose. Like I mean mm-hmm. I, I just couldn't breathe. Mm-hmm. Um another one would be actually the original Night of the Living Dead because oh, yeah. that was the first horror movie the first movie I, I can remember seeing where the good guys don't win. And I at that point I didn't know that that could happen. Yeah. That, yeah, that was yeah. allowed. And like I that yeah, so that sure. was something for like uh, am I supposed to see this? Mm-hmm. Uh but my real choice would actually I mean to everyone's surprise obviously it would be Mystery Science Theater 3000. Mm, so interesting. Uh, yes. That would... <laughs> yeah. The definitive Peyton aesthetic. <laughs> There's the so laugh. Good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Uh, Space yeah. Mutiny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if I have to go into this, but it's it's. Uh, I mean, like, like they may lovingly make fun of bad movies, but I mean, uh, I mean, there's different approaches by but the between the different hosts, but they they kind of have this. Hey, we're hanging out, we're we're having fun. Um, they they we know way too much about useless stuff, right? And uh, we're not they 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 clearly have an appreciation for it. You yeah. Know? Like well, also art is meant to be communally consumed. Yeah. Like you're supposed to be there with your friends right. watching. They're it. inviting it's, you in on it's the not a, it's not a uh, secluded activity. It's no. not in a partition. Yeah. And for I'm, someone who runs a podcast where even you if you're watching Mr. Yeah. Science Theater by yourself, <laughs> the principle of it is you have three friends yeah. watching it with you. Like, yeah, yeah. Everything is better in a sort of community. I can mm-hmm. see that. Yeah. Yeah, you literally invite people into your living room <laughs> yeah. to play games exactly. with you. Right. I mean, yeah. yeah, this is your thing. Yeah, it is which, very much my Which thing. is why this is not surprising. Yeah. Um, it also, I, I, in the same way that Ghostbusters was formative for comedy for me, I very much see, like, your <laughs> mode of interaction, right? Like, in the mystery. So I totally get yeah. that. Yeah. Um, anyways, I'd be interested also to hear in the comments um, after people give us a name for the uh, Serengeti Western that we've recently <laughs> written. The most important thing. Right. But second to that. Also, if anyone has Zoe Saldana and or Michael Shannon's numbers, we are going to need those because yeah. we have an opportunity for them. <laughs> we pitched the idea, then we write the script. In Southern Africa, <laughs> just... summer 2018. Um, we hey, get Neil Bloomkamp to do it. Wait, that would make it too uh, dark. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah. Maybe. Um, hey, if you've been listening to this thing, Thanks so much. We really appreciate your time, your energy, your attention, all of the above. And we hope you've enjoyed mm, it. Even 50% of this would honestly be a big win for us. If it was more, great. Feels and optimistic. Es- right. Estimate, Feels like you got your money or non-money's <laughs> worth here, people. Okay. Um, thanks so much for everything you do. As we mentioned at the top, don't forget you can find us in a bunch of different places over the next couple of months. Origins in June, Gen Con in August. You can also check out our Kickstarter for Party Foul, F-O-W-L, the game, the game of Drunk Ducks, which is probably live as this episode is airing. Um, if you're not already following us on Twitter, check us out at The Mixed Six. You can also find us on Facebook. Uh, we've got a page and a group just Search for the Mix Six podcast and check out our YouTube page where you can find a bunch of videos of us saying stupid shit uh, and that have cut, been cut together by other people far more talented than we. Thank you, primarily Maddie Gibbons, for that. And if you want to send us things, olive oil, 
not olive oil in the mail, you're welcome to. You can send things to The Mixed Six, 2131 West Republic Road, number 101, Springfield, Missouri, 65807. Thanks so much for everything you do. We really appreciate your time. Uh, Once again, this has been The Mixed Six. I'm Spencer. I'm Caleb. And we'll see you next time. I know you do, and that's just the trouble. Just the trouble. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. You mustn't give your heart to a wild thing. Trying to love a wild thing. You mustn't give your heart to a wild thing.